Hello, and welcome to the Metaphorical Boat Podcast. I'm your captain, Christopher McBride. The Metaphorical Boat is a podcast where we sit down with our favourite musicians to ask them about their music, their inspirations, and most importantly, how they take their tea. Today I am joined by Kira O'Neill. Kira O'Neill is a singer-songwriter whose music has been described as dark indie folk and as a lyricist adept in creating vivid, emotionally frail imagery and has recently released her second album, Arrow, with a sold-out performance as part of the Cathedral Arts Festival. Kira, thanks a lot for coming on the Metaphorical Boat. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me, Christopher. Before we get into the conversation, all our guests on the Metaphorical Boat are treated to a drink and a snack of their choice. Mm-hmm. So, Kira, what have you gone for? I have gone for a cup of good old builder's brew. Oh, you can't go so wrong with that. So good strong tea with um, a good bit of milk, half a teaspoon of sugar and a custard cream. Oh, that sounds great. I know. I'm not really eating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I've just gone for my normal, which is a nice cup of coffee and my Battenbergs. Because oh. I, I, I can't go wrong. I can't. Your Battenberg pillows are class. Oh yeah, no, I, I love the <laughs> So the first question, mm-hmm. who is Kira O'Neill? So, Kira O'Neill, I am a singer-songwriter from Portadown, and I have been singing my pretty much my whole life, actually. Um, I've been in various little bands over the years, and a few years ago, I started kind of writing my own songs, well, pro- probably around 2011, and that became my first album, The Ebony Trail, and then after that, I went on adventures to Nashville and beyond, and came out with my second album been a bit of a journey the last few years. So what would have been your first experiences with music? What sort of music would you have grown up with? Well first of all my dad is a big country music fan (laughs) so in the background in our house it was always Chris Christopherson (laughs) and George Jones and John Prine and and back then I was just like what are you listening (laughs) to? And he was always kind of trying to like educate me in like good music but I was just like Lincoln Park, you know, Limp Bizkit, (laughs) all this kind of thing. Would he listen to the Hugo Duncan show? No, he was into, he was more into like good American country music, you know. Also like one of the first records I remember ever having in the house was um, the Bad LP for Michael Jackson. And I remember like whenever I was like really way, like I must have been about like five or six, I remember I begged my dad to play, I think it was either Smooth Criminal or Dirty Diana before bed like every night because I was just like obsessed with this song so yeah I loved that and then I remember one of the first CDs we ever had in the house was the rock set and it was like a compilation I remember like completely devouring it because it was the first CD we had that had like the lyrics in the inside cover so I just like loved that and I pretty much know all of those songs <laughs> off by heart to this day. It's funny, the Croxette were really big the day. Yeah. They're not as, you don't really hear their music as much now. No. Okay. You hear the look every now and again on radio, but apart from that, you don't really hear I them. I know, but I still know all the words. <laughs> as soon as it comes on, it's like, yes, the stereo's turned up really loud. and yeah. So what other music would you have listened to? Um, as a child, I guess it was kind of more um, all of that kind of stuff. And then in school... I always um, sang, you know, the old kind of Irish Chano's kind of thing, you know, the old Irish um, folk songs, she moved through the fur, and we would have had, like, various different, like, um, recitals in school, and I would have um, done a lot of that, like, a cappella singing, and then I was always in the choirs in school as well, so 
every break time, every lunch time, we were in practicing for UTV school choir of the year, you know, all this kind oh, of thing. Was on? Yeah, was on, I think it was on it twice. Did you win? I think we won once, yeah. Oh, I can't remember. I think we definitely won once. And then the other time, I think um, St. Anthony's Primary School from back home. Yeah, so I kind of have been singing pretty much since out of the womb. Like. This is a question I ask everyone. What would be your favourite ever song? And normally when I ask this question, I always feel like I need two answers. One is your favourite ever song, and one is your favourite song by the Beatles, because they just have so many great songs that you can't really not oh, include them. I know. I think one of my favourite songs, Between the Bars by Elliot Smith. Ooh. Yeah, I think it's just one of my, it's just an absolute gem of a song. I absolutely love it. And probably my favourite Beatles song would be Yesterday. You know, it's just a, yeah, or the one, didn't it used to be, wasn't it, didn't, was it Paul McCartney that whenever he was writing it kept saying scrambled eggs yeah. or something? <laughs> he, he came up with this melody and he wasn't sure what to do with yeah. it, so he, just, he started with scrambled eggs, darling, how I love your legs, yeah. something like that, yeah, and then actually so. became this very ode of song, which yeah. was actually about breakfast. It is a beautiful <laughs> song, and it's just such a beautiful melody, and, and you know, between the bars, Elliot Smith, like it was in Goodwill Hunting, and also one of my favourite movies. And, you know, I just I just have always loved that song. There's just something about it. And I think Elliot Smith, he is definitely one of my favourite songwriters. And I think you can really hear the vulnerability and the torture in him, you know. It's quite tragic. Yeah, yeah it's very then, tragic. Yeah. And he's just a very open person in his music. I've listened to a lot of um, Elliot Smith over the years and Jeff Buckley. And, you know, just a lot. I don't know what it is about those, like, tortured artists. But there's just, I, their music just really kind of, Sing so true yeah. and um yeah so between the bars yeah so when did you start as a performer like as a singer um so whenever i was in university i was in second year in uni and i was at like this party it's like little house party and a guy was there he was in a band and he was like oh i'm looking for a singer and my friend was like my friend sings <laughs> and i was like shut up <laughs> And then he was like, oh, really? And then I was, yeah, yeah, kind of sing, you know. And actually, I had been in university, like, I'm a radiographer, and when I was in uni, I was really, really missing, like, the creative side of things because I hadn't been in a choir or anything for years. And I was doing radiography, which is very uncreative, very sciencey. Yeah. And I just was really kind of, I was just itching. I needed to get my teeth into something creative. I was just really missing it. And I was even thinking about joining like a university choir or just something, you know, just, yeah. I hadn't really been in, the, in any kind of music scene or anything like that. So yeah, so this guy, um, his name is Kieran Burke. We started like a little band back in, must have been like 2004, 2005. And it was called Mary's Great Idea. And I dragged my friend who kind of, you know, said, she's the singer. I dragged her with me to the rehearsal and um, she ended up playing piano in it. And we did, like, you know, our first gig was in Auntie Annie's and we were just a very, like, little kind of acoustic folk group, you know, kind of Damien Rice kind of vibe to it. And it was lovely and, you know, that was my social life in uni and I had such an amazing time, lots of house parties, lots of cool gigs and... We just had so much fun with it and yeah. it was all just a pure hobby it was nothing yeah. serious it was did just good fun but yeah i loved it and that was kind of what we what i what kind of got me into music 
and then after that I was in a band called Kitty and the Can Openers. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so it was kind of more of like a quirky, like like pop band, you know, like I was the singer and like the it was just very quirky. It was good fun, you know. It was it wasn't really anything serious, um, but it was good fun and you know I learned a lot from that. Um, but up until that point, I hadn't really been writing any of my own songs, and that was one thing I had really been kind of going oh, this is something I really need to do. And I started writing and and then, you know what it's like, it kind of bands just like drift apart. And, yeah. and then I ended up not having really any music. So the only way for me to be creative was to write my own stuff. So that's whenever, yeah, I just started, I, I, I didn't even know how to play guitar. Back then I had a little um, classical guitar I bought for about 90 quid somewhere up, somewhere up North Belfast. And I ended up, just writing like a lot of the first album on that little guitar just kind of trying to pick notes out here and there and it was all very simple and yeah so that was kind of what I started kind of writing. So what would have been the first uh, song that you would have written? So the first song I wrote ever on the guitar was a song called The Road and it's on the first album and I actually had been write, re- reading um, that Cormac McCarthy book The Road yeah. and I don't know this little melody had like come out in the on the guitar but the guitar was out of tune at the time i didn't really know how to tune the guitar so i was like okay i like this melody but the guitar is not in any kind of tune so i had to like figure out what the note was on like a tuner and then once the guitar was tuned up kind of figure out how to play that you know <laughs> this is like seriously i had, did not i did not play guitar at all uh joe i've heard of the artist cat power Oh yeah. yeah. I was reading an interview there a couple of years ago and she said I've been playing band for three years releasing the album mm-hmm. and it took until that time to realise that what I thought was an E minor was actually the A. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think whenever you know too much, I think you're more constricted in a way. Like because you kind of have like rules and re- you know, you're kind of trying to fit into certain rules within the guitar. But back then I didn't I hardly knew what an E minor was, you know, so it was kinda to be you're kind of more creative and you think more outside the box and you kind of go alongside more what sounds good not just like oh this chord will go with this chord if you don't know the chords you just kind of have to go with your ear so and a lot of people actually had said to me whenever they heard me playing the album you know that is like a really unusual like chord change i would never have like done that but you're kind of just doing it and it's i it's literally because i didn't know what i was playing but I think that was kind of nice in a way that it was just I was just playing what I thought sounded good, and in in many ways simplicity is key. And you mentioned that uh, you're influenced by like the Cormac McCarthy novel. Mm. I've noticed I think a lot of your songs are quite influenced by literature. Oh what, yeah. What is it that you like about taking those stories and turning them into songs? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm such a bookworm. Like, I've always, always been such a big reader ever since I was a child. You know, as soon as I got, like, a book home, it was, like, read that night, you know, and I've just always kept it that way. And and I'm a huge fan of, like, Haruki Murakami, Yasunari Kawabata, like, all the, I, I've, I went through, a, like, a phase of literally only reading Japanese authors for about two years I was just really, really interested in that whole like culture and, and, and like a lot of the translations were really poetic as well and just really beautiful kind of imagery and I just always kind of find that to be 
useful in songwriting. In the first album as well, I remember getting really into Dylan Thomas. I remember reading um, A Prospect of the Sea, which is a book of his like short stories. And it was so, like, that is so, so haunting and dark stuff. And I was just kind of, I was in that kind of place in my life anyway. So the first album w is quite dark because a lot of the stuff I was surrounding myself with was like literature, like, you know, Dylan Thomas and Sylvia Plath and like just different things. And that was just the mood that I was kind of in. And I just felt like that was what was naturally coming out. So yeah, what I kind of I'm reading at the time always tends to inform my music. I need really need to read some Haruki Murakami. Oh. I bought Norwegian Wood about two years ago, mm. about ten pages in, and still beside my bed. Oh so no! Eventually, I'm gonna have to. Get I'm so jealous of anybody who's never read a Haruki Murakami book. I'm so jealous because I've read them all probably about three times each. I just am obsessed. He actually went to Japan um <laughs> a lot of years ago simply because I was so obsessed with. <laughs> Japan just from his from reading his books I was like I have to go so yeah did you ever go back to play a gig in Japan oh yeah had the opportunity if they were gonna pay for me to go over <laughs> absolutely no obviously I actually did play a little mini gig out there actually come to think of it and um, we were in a bar one night and somebody had a, a, a guitar and they were like oh she can sing this seems to happen to me a lot <laughs> so I remember getting up in this little bar somewhere in Japan I think it was somewhere like downtown Tokyo and kind of played a couple of songs in this very out of tune guitar so yeah technically have played a gig in Japan <laughs> should put that in my my CV <laughs> my blog <laughs> played, in, played in Nashville and Japan and Japan <laughs> you have to like, you know you have to pick it from every, yeah. everywhere don't you <laughs> yeah. so uh, you released your first album in 2016 the yeah. Ebony Trail yes yeah. uh, how, how do you how do you feel about how people reacted to it I mean it I'm really pleased I, to be honest that album was never whenever I recorded that album when I went into the studio it was never meant to be released it was simply for me it was a, a form of therapy it was a way of getting this creative energy out that I really needed to to help me work through stuff that had been going on in my life and and then I just loved the process of it so much and it, it gave me recording that album really gave me my love back for music so that made me want to release it and the songs just sounded so great and I was just so proud of it and I wanted people to hear it. It's an unusual album I guess in many respects you know it's very very sparse in places and it's very it is very dark like it's you know it, it kind of it, it got me over to Nashville because the you know the the people that heard my music and he was singing those songs you know it got some kind of traction like with music supervisors and stuff it never actually made it into anything but you know there was definite interest there you know because it was so atmospheric and so unusual so I, I, I'm really pleased like I feel like I've kind of progressed with the second album but I'm still really proud of the first it's always your first album's always your yeah. wee baby you know and um, Are there, yeah. there any songs in that first album that really resonate with you or that are really special to you? Yeah, probably um, Ghosts. Um, yeah. Ghosts were probably, and, and Fortune Favours. Actually, Ghosts was probably, apart from The Road, was I think Ghosts was the second song that I wrote ever on guitar. And it's just a very, very simple song, just a nice little kind of repetitive, um, repetitive uh, guitar um, melody and it's kind of just about loss and it's about you know kind of seeking to find something in nothing and it, you know 
and then fortune favors I guess is is something you know it's about just kind of seeing life for what it is and being grateful for what you have so I don't really play those songs very often now I would still play ghosts the odd time but a lot of those songs got me through like a particularly crappy time you know yeah. so like they're always going to mean something you know yeah. and then off the back of that album you got to play in nashville how did that come about yeah so i was playing um at the belfast nashville songwriters festival and it was kind of i mean i nashville had never really been on my radar before you know it was never really massively into country music i hadn't really not the, not the way my dad would be you know i i I'd appre- I appreciated it more now as i got older and i could see, hear like the amazing songwriting and stuff but it still wouldn't have been the kind of music that i would have you know naturally picked up and listened to but but the national songwriters festival it's, it's a fantastic festival um every march in belfast um that's solely for songwriters and for people that that write the words you know and and also performers as well and um i was playing like on one of the last days and it was actually I was filling in for somebody that couldn't make it but I got up and I played and there was a publisher from Nashville there and a couple of songwriters like really big songwriters one who'd won a Grammy another who'd like had something like six number one hits and they were all in the audience and afterwards they were like we love you like your stuff is so good it's so different you know you should come to Nashville and and I was like well actually you know I do have some time off um and yeah so I ended up just going over all over to Nashville off the back of that it just coincided with a career break I was taking in work I had about a year off and I had this like whole year in front of me and I was like what am I gonna do so Nashville just kind of fitted in it just slotted in perfectly it was the right thing to do you know what did you get to do when you're right Nashville just like a lot just kind of getting you know, it takes a while to kind of get into things like the Bluebird Cafe and stuff like that. But I did play like quite a few little gigs, um, just in like various little bars. Um, I met um the publishers quite a few times, and I got and just built up a really good relationship with them, and you know, just just friends basically. And I kind of got in with um a little group of songwriters called the Nashville Yacht Club, and they were all just kind of young songwriters like myself, and every week. Um, they met up in somebody's house you know had some drinks and snacks and we just like you know spoke about songs everybody would have played a song and then you would have like kind of critiqued it you know for in front you know in front of the group that you know and it was kind of a it was a safe place to go with a new song that you were kind of working on or you just you know you'd just written it and you're just not sure about it it was just a safe place with really nice people and you could go and play a song and then they'd be like this was good you know maybe could you try kind of looking at you know changing this and I met lots of really nice friends and because I was there for three months so it was just lovely to kind of meet up with these people and just make friends and have people to hang out with and also just collaborate with you know um like we wrote songs together and just different things so have any of those songs you've co-written have they yeah the opportunity to do that when you were in Nashville yeah I've written loads of songs um, like lots of songs over the few years I was going out there with other songwriters um, they haven't actually like the, ter- the term that they use over there is um, getting cut you know have you yeah. got have you ever got a, a song cut before you know this is kind of the, the way you would speak about it um, but I, I haven't um, there's lots of songs in like um, a database and the publisher if she thinks the song could go with this artist or this artist then that might kind of you know she might kind of go in there at some stage but 
a lot of the songs I was writing was very, very, was a very formulaic way of writing a song for a Nashville country artist, yeah. and I'm not that. <laughs> so it was very difficult for me to kind of get down to the very much... It's called bro country. Yeah. And that's oh. the stuff that's on like the country radio stations over in America. And it's not particularly good. Like it's, yeah. it is, you know, it, it, it's what people listen to out there. It's what people like, you know, guys driving in their trucks and they yeah. just, they just stick <laughs> on the radio. And, and that is what people, that's what publishers want you to write because that is what is making massive money out there. And I'm just not that, you know, I, you know, it's all trucks and beer and girls yeah. and all this. <laughs> and a lot of the uh, songwriters and the publishers out there are so sick of that. And they're really wanting to see a change. And there has been some artists coming through like Chris Stapleton and Civil Wars and people that are, are genuinely incredible artists and songwriters, singers that are coming out with stuff that is kind of becoming a bit more mainstream, which is great to see. But unfortunately, a lot of that stuff is still, it's hard to change something that makes a lot of money for yeah. people. And um, a lot of the art, a lot of the songwriters wanted, you know, they, they have publishing deals. They need to, they need to be saying that, to be writing songs that their publisher is going to think they'll be getting cut. So it wasn't necessarily the, the most creative thing. Um, you know, some of the songs are, were a bit naff, like, yeah. you know, they were, but you know it's just all part of it you have to write like crap songs as well and, yeah you know it's just something to laugh about afterwards yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you ever watch keep it country tv oh yeah is that the yeah. irish program yeah, it's, it's the irish one that's like a, on preview yeah I, it, the, in the evening they would play that sort of yeah country music it's yeah. kind of like dully clever just turn on for hours to see what's <laughs> happening i just remember i think i remember like one of them keep her country and it, this farmer guy and he was just like you know i have to get my brogues i have to get my good brogues on <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's like a complete different it's so, world but irish country music is such a massive thing here yeah, it I, really is like, I, like nathan carter so good the odyssey yeah. i would never have in a million years thought that would be possible They're, i mean and, do you know what like all fair play to them you know they've kind of they've got into that niche market and they're doing well and nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It's great. If Nathan Carter was pulling up in the park would say, do you want to support me on a pen in the Odyssey? Would you, would oh, you I don't say know. Yes? I'd be like, first of all, have you heard my music? Just <laughs> just just before you actually ask. <laughs> but who wouldn't? Like come yeah. on, who wouldn't play the Odyssey? <laughs> <laughs> your experience in Nashville, did that have any impact on sort of songs you were writing for your second album Arrow? Yeah, I, I got to a stage in Nashville where you know, the first couple of years, I was kind of going out and I was start. I was playing the game. I was, you know, I was trying to find my way, trying to figure out what I wanted out of this whole Nashville thing. Like, I kept going back and forth, and I'm like, what do I want out of this? You know, why? What's keeping me coming back here? Am I getting anything useful out of this? And I kind of I knew for pretty early on that writing for other artists, particularly country artists, was not going to be my thing. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy going in and and you know, writing a naff song about, you know, Saturday night down in the bar. I started being a wee bit more kind of, I guess, selective in who I wanted to write with. And there was a few songwriters out there who were just incredible, really amazing lyricists, um, quirky, a bit different. And they were really interested in writing with me because I was bringing them something different. They they were kind of, I think they had been getting a little bit sick and tired of the 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 grind you know the, the Nashville grind you know here's me coming from Ireland like a little folk artist singing all these little kind of dark songs and they were just like that's really cool like I you know let I want to kind of write something like for you 
there was a couple of you know some of the songs um you know would be stuff that I would have played and others not but there was a couple that really did kind of make the cut and Hurtin was one of them Hurtin of of Arrow the second album I wrote that with a guy called um Drew Ramsey he's a lecturer in Belmont University and he's he's won a Grammy award for songwriting for like some artist I can't even remember who so he's obviously very successful and then I also wrote that song with um a guy called Alex Zimmerman he's a student at Belmont and the three of us just got together and you know I had like this idea and you know we just started working on it and it became I was like at the end of it I was like I love this song like I, I want this song for me like I want this for my album you know and before that I'd never really went into a co-writing situation thinking let's write a song for my album because I was always so into writing my own songs and I kind of felt a little bit protective of that yeah you know like my album has to be me and I wanted to be kind of you know, speak from my heart and all of that, and a co-write won't do that. You know, I just kind of this that was just my perception of it, um, and this song just spoke to me, and I could I totally got it. I knew where it came from, and from my perspective, and you know, I just thought, yeah, that's definitely. And the only other song on the album that's a co-write um was my is favorite mistake. I wrote that with Ryan McMullen. He we were over in Nashville um as part of the Belmash the Pan Arts every year they'd take some songwriters over there to play like the Bluebird Cafe and, and Ryan and I were two of them and there was um four others as well. Um so yeah, we we just like had a free afternoon one time and we were like, Oh, this might as well write a song. So we wrote that and that was just before he got like massive of <laughs> all his edge here and stuff. But um yeah no so we wrote favorite mistake and I just I that was a song that I just really felt yeah I love the melody I love the words I kind of I just it was it's a little bit more country than what I would have normally went for but I just really liked it I just kind of really got it and I thought I'd really like to record that as well and I'd been playing it live for a little while and I was getting really good feedback and so yeah I kind of decided so those are the only two co-writes on the album just oh like honestly it's like a it's like a crash course in songwriting. It's so nerve wracking going into like a co-writing session with somebody who's had like six or nine number one hits and has won a Grammy award and you're sitting there going, oh, and there's like a, you know, there's a bit of etiquette about it as well. So if you're writing up, so if you're writing with somebody more successful than you, you have to come with the ideas yeah. and they said to go with three ideas and it's like, okay, so what's your first idea? Oh no, I'm not really liking that. What's your second idea? And and it's everybody's very. It, there's no subtlety. It's like don't like that. What's the next one? Don't like that. What's the third one? And you're just sitting there going, oh my goodness, this is like disaster. And then the third one, like you know, okay, that worked. But thankfully, I haven't really had any any disastrous co-writes. Um, Touchwood, yeah. but I haven't done. I haven't really co-written in about a year and a half. But um, would you be able to do it again? If Hopefully, yeah. I, I kind of I think just I'd been to Nashville so much that um, I just I, I just felt I needed a break. I, I felt like I'd really gotten enough of what I really wanted out of it. And my last trip was April seventeen, and so just just over a year ago, about a year and a half ago. Um, and I don't know. I enjoyed the trip, but I kind of felt like I was pushing myself to go, and maybe I kind of felt like. Hmm. I just didn't know. I just kind of felt like I had got a lot out of the trips, but I just wasn't sure if 
I needed to keep going back, but I I would definitely go back to Nashville. But I just I'm get taking a little break from going at the moment and kind of seeing what other options I have, you know, um, especially with the album release, um, you know, in Nashville you're either a songwriter or an artist, very rarely both. And being in Nashville, I I think I was more the publishers and the industry people were more kind of thinking of me as a songwriter and I kind of want I I, I want to be an artist I want to yeah. kind of you know release my albums and even if it's to a few people like I, I that's that's me that's what I want to do that's the creative side of it you know and I, and I never would have wanted to give that up so uh, earlier this year you released your second album Arrow uh, in terms of the sound of it, how would you say it's different or would be different than your first album? The songs are definitely, are, are just, I, I think there's just, it is better songwriting, you know. I think the first album, it was my, it was, they were some of the first songs I'd ever written and it was very poetic and very kind of, you know, a bit weird at times. But Arrow, I think the, the going to Nashville and kind of writing with, you know, these incredible songwriters and learning so much about so- songwriting, I definitely think that has improved the quality of the songs and of the lyrics and the stories and things like that. And I wanted to kind of do a more straightforward style of recording. So I wanted it to be, you know, I wanted to kind of use like live drums and li- I-, I didn't want to use any like, you know, beats or anything like that. I wanted it to be really organic. But being in the studio with Michael Marmika, he's so creative and he's so open to kind of trying loads of different things. So I ended up the album did have beats on it, like equal and opposite has like a bit of a, like a you know, a, a beat that's kind of like goes throughout it. And there's a lot of kind of other stuff like there's a drum beat going through two hearts. There's a bit of like an urban kind of sound coming through, but it still is keeping that organic feel because um you know I use like live strings live cello all of that and you know so it's definitely still got the organic feel but there's st- just a bit more kind of cool kind of sounds coming through and I think it's just a, a bit more of like it evolved from like the ebony trail I just wanted it to be a bit more about the songs and yeah. less about like the surrounding you know like the kind of the feel of it you know I but I, I didn't want to take away from that either, but I just wanted the, I wanted the songs to really shine through. What would you, you say your favourite song on the album is? Uh, it's a tough mm. one, I know, especially when it's just been released. That is a tough one. I think probably everything, and it's the only one in the album that's very, it's just, just me and, and my guitar. There's absolutely no um, production on that at all. And I just, I, I actually wrote that song the night before the last day of recording. And it was just like, I kind of just had been, you know, fiddling about with a few little ideas. And this had come into my head, this kind of, just just basically like, I wanted to write a song that was a bit more hopeful, that was a bit more kind of positive. And even though like my positive songs still sound sad, <laughs> that's just like the way it comes out. But it does have more of a hopeful message. And you know, I think I was getting to a stage where I was just like really happy just in my life and I was happy with how my music was going and I was just, I was just in a happy place and I wanted to kind of write something that would bring out just the beauty in life, you know, and just, just different things, you know, just the simplest little thing, kind of seeing something beautiful in it. Um, and I wanted to kind of put that in song and that song just like literally just like rolled out you know it was done so quickly and I recorded it the next day and 
I love playing it live, you know, it's just, I don't know what other people really think of it, a few people have said, you know, that they really like that song, but people tend to go for like the arrow and hurting and, you know, the more produced songs is their favourite. Well, I think I've told you before, my favourite song is from the album Lots of Course, Dreamer. Yeah. Because I saw you perform it two years ago, I think it might have been actually the Belfast Song Writers Festival. Possibly, yeah. And when I heard that song, it, I, I almost cried because it's mm. just such a beautiful song. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, it, so, so that that one's inspired by uh, Sylvia Plath. Is yeah, it a novel so or a short story? It was a short story. So um, it's in Johnny Panic and the Bible of Dreams. It's that collection of short stories. And the story is called The Wishing Box. And it's about a young married couple who... Um, they kind of just the husband just gets into like a routine every morning just when he's eating his breakfast he just talks about like the crazy dreams that he had the night before and they're always like really like wild and you know he's having he's on safari with you know the prince of egypt and he's doing all these like really cool things and he's just like you know just he's just talking about them and he's just saying you know how great they are and um oh would he hear what i dreamt last night but um his wife tolerates it for a while and, you know, she's like, you know, oh, yes, that's very good and blah, blah, blah. And then she starts to kind of get, you know, a bit more bitter about it. She starts to feel almost jealous that her husband has spent like a third of his life in this place that she can't reach. Yeah. And, you know, the dreams that she has, like, I mean, she, if she are very dark and twisted if she even remembers her dreams, you know. And she's just kind of, she starts to just, you know, this starts to kind of like twist inside her into something really like, horrible and you know negative and i'll not tell you how the story ends if you ever wanted to read it but it doesn't end well (laughs) yeah it's a sylvia path story story. i mean her her books are very very deep and obviously you know the story of sylvia plath and she had went through a lot of stuff so i but i just thought the actual concept of the book of that story was so interesting you know it's like yeah you know you can be with somebody all the time but you know your dreams are really your private time like there's literally you can't follow somebody into their dreams and it might sound a little naff thinking like talking saying that out loud kind of sounds a bit like but it's i just thought it was a really cool concept and um you know there's like the lyric in the the song you know um like the things you dream are works of art you know deserts and lakes that keep us apart um so I just, I really like the concept, but I wanted it, obviously, like, it's it's just a bittersweet song. It's just a bit wistful, rather than depressing that song, you know? Yeah, and no, I think that's why I connect with me. Just like, like that idea of you can be with someone, you can fall into the ends of the earth, but you can't share the, yeah. the, the most thoughts. Yeah, I'm glad you like that. Yeah. And then, uh, I think also, I'm hurting, that was mm-hmm. the main single. I think that's starting to build up a bit of steam on Spotify and some yeah, of the other I mean, recently. It, you know, I, I think, you know... I really, I really enjoy playing hurting. I think what it's about kind of resonates with people. You know, it's kind of from the perspective of somebody that realizes the other person wasn't the problem, you know, and it lies within themselves. And it's that realization that, you know what, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I'm the problem, you know what I mean? Maybe like all of this like heartache or whatever, maybe it's all down to me. And I think a lot of people can resonate with that because there's a lot of songs about you know, negative heartbreak and, you know, like, oh, he did this to me and, or she did that to me or whatever. But this is kind of just, uh, you know, looking inside yourself and realising, you know, I'm not so perfect, you know what I mean? And Yeah, and I just, it's it's done really well. Like, you know, I've, I've, I kind of had a listen there and I think it's got, 
you know, like something like fifty thousand streams on Spotify at the moment, which is probably which is nothing compared to like what some people are getting. But to me, that's like I'm so pleased with that, you know. And I just think it's nice that people have kind of reacted to the song and have have picked up on it, you know. And yeah, really happy with that one. One thing I noticed in your live performances and also in some of the more recent music videos, you've used a lot of archive footage of like old home videos. Yeah. Uh, what's what what was the reason behind using that? So a, f- um, a few years ago, um, we came across, like my dad came across like an old family movie um, and it was kind of one of these, like it, it was from, I think it was like his uncle who had like one of the first like video cameras in our little like country lane that we live and he had like one of the first video cameras and there's lots of footage of like my dad and it, my dad's a little boy in it, you know, my granny and granddad are there and like, you know, I never met my granddad, he died before I was born. You know, it was just like really interesting kind of like seeing him out in the tractor in the fields and, you know, it was just a really, and it's really old, like Super 8 type footage. It's really old and grainy and I've always loved that. I love that old vintage style, like photography and like vintage, like footage, like, you know, videos and stuff. Like I've always loved that. And for Christmas one year, like the, the video was like in a really old um, like VHS cassette and we were kind of afraid to watch it because in case we like wrecked it you know because this is like footage you would never get again um so for Christmas one year I put it I got like um, a company to transfer it onto a DVD and um I got like a copy for my dad and I just got an extra copy as well and I kind of thought do you know what some of that would look like really cool music videos and I had done I had done some of the music video like DIY stuff before with Primroses on the first album. I had like a, a, a video with like a geisha girl dancing and I actually filmed that in Japan and it like matched up with the, the, the music for Primroses perfectly and it almost looked like she was dancing to the song. Um, and I kind of thought, you know, I've got very limited skills on like iMovie but with a bit of creativity I kind of, you know, spliced bits of it up and reverse things and like slowed things down and and I just thought it would look really cool you know just something a little bit different um I don't really like the very typical music videos of like somebody singing with a guitar and I, I just I just I think I love I love the the possibilities in a music video and I love how creative you can actually get with something and I don't really want to be in my music videos either. I just kind of just, I don't know what it is. I just, I don't want to be in them. I kind of, if I am in them, I'm like covered up or like I'm like some kind of weird and I don't, maybe it's just like a weird kind of thing that I have. Um, but I kind of like just doing something a wee bit different. Um, and I just actually released another video for Equal and Opposite. Yeah. And it's kind of using a lot of that old footage and basically, um, these two men on a tightrope <laughs> and they're kind of like yeah and I just I was thinking like what could work with equal and opposite and I was kind of looking through the footage and I saw this this bit with the two men on the tightrope and I'm like oh, that would be perfect one could one's equal one's opposite they're like two sides of the coin they're like yin yin yang and I just thought like that would be really cool and I kind of just like spliced it up and it took a lot of work just to kind of try and get it working so that work kind of looked right and that like you know it wasn't like just me kind of throwing something up and like putting music over it I wanted it to kind of fit in with like you know the different beats of the music or you know things like that you know it's maybe not for everybody but I, I love it I think it's really cool and the same for Hurton Hurton was kind of just had a load of old footage from like kind of like 
like I think there's like an old like monastery in it or like an old school or something. I'm not exactly sure what a lot of the footage is. So yeah, I just kind of a bit being a bit creative with it, you know. Yeah. And do you have any gigs coming up? I understand you're playing in Belgium. Yeah, so I'm <laughs> I'm playing in Brussels next week. I'm not sure when this is going out, but it's the twenty first of uh, September for Culture Night. Okay. So the Arts Council have been absolutely amazing to me over the past couple of years. They have done so much for me and really supported me. And they asked me to go out and perform at the NI Executive Office in Brussels. Um, and yes, yeah, so I'm going out next next Thursday, the 20th, with Matt McGinn, another amazing songwriter from here. And we're going to be performing um, on, the, on Culture Night at the NI Executive Office. So that'll be really lovely, something a bit different. I might take a little trip to Bruges. <laughs> I go on a chocolate tour or something, <laughs> you know. And then I've got um, a gig at the end of November to the Atlantic Session, so I'm going to be doing the live Ralph McLean show at oh, the Flowerfield Arts Centre. So that'll be lovely. That that's like one of the highlights of the Atlantic Sessions every year. And Ralph, he, another great supporter of mine, and he asked me to play, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> definitely. That sounds amazing. Um, but I don't really have anything else at the moment. Um. As I say, like you know, I kind of just I, I pick and choose gigs as as I, and when I really want to do them. Um, I wouldn't. I've never really been the type of artist that just goes out and plays everywhere and anywhere. I just I've done that. I've done that in the past. Like when I was kind of in those little bands and we played up and down the country and getting home at three a.m., getting up for work at seven. You know all this kind of thing. But I think now I'm just I'm happier just playing gigs that I really want to do. You know, nice venues, nice stages. You know, um, a listening audience. So I am, I am a bit more selective about what I play now, um, and you know those kind of things coming up are just really lovely. So I'm looking forward to those. Well, Claire, thanks a lot for taking the time to speak to me. Not a problem. And if anyone wants to find out more information about yourself and your music, how would they go about doing that? So, um, my website, kieroneilmusic.com, and a Facebook, kieroneilmusic. And Twitter at underscore Kira O'Neill and you know all of the above. <laughs> uh, well, Kira, thanks a lot for coming on the Thank metaphorical you for boat, me. and thanks a lot for listening. It, remember, if you want, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Be sure to leave it a lovely review if you can, and you can find the original blog, the metaphorical boat, at metaphoricalboat.com. <laughs>